Amen. Thank you, ladies. Take your Bibles this morning. Turn to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. Come to a Christmas service, you pretty much expect to go to Isaiah or Luke or Matthew. Uh, and so we're going to go to all of them today. Uh, and so, and a couple others along the way as well. And so, Luke chapter number 2, and we're going to begin here in verse number 8. Luke chapter 2, and we'll begin here in verse number 8. The Bible says here, And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is, is, unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. Ye shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger, and suddenly there was with the angel a multitude in the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace and goodwill toward men. And it came to pass, as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, that the shepherds said one to another, Let us go now, or let us now go even unto Bethlehem, and see this thing which has come to pass. And the Lord hath made known unto us. And they came with haste, and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all they that heard it as wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told unto them. And I want to speak this morning on just a simple thought, this day. Let's pray. Father, again, we come and open your word. May we open our hearts. Lord, wherever we are, whatever station in life, Lord, we, uh, how little we know of you or how much and how closely we walk with you, Lord, I pray uh, that you would reveal yourself to our hearts this morning. <coughs> Lord, help us to be open to your word and to be seeking you. Lord, speak to us now, we pray, in these few minutes. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, a day is our most basic element of measurement of time. We, we look at different things about days. Uh, we block it off into 24-hour segment. We take 365 and a quarter of them and make a year. We even go so far as to every fourth year adding an extra day to account for that quarter year that it takes for the earth to make its one trip around the sun. But every day it rotates one time on its own axis. And we go through a sequence of light and darkness, of, uh, of time. We've named it a day. When we take the day, we break the days down and we even name the days. Sunday through Saturday. We measure what's going on in the course of a week by which day it is. It puts it into context. We have so many days, 28 to 31, in the course of a month, of which we have 12 of to mark the year's time. With all of that, we break them down and we, sit, we even divide them into hours and minutes and uh, all the way down, depending on how 
important what you're doing detail-wise is to nanoseconds in some places. Uh, and so we divide them up. When it comes to days like today, we reserve some. We reserve some for good memories and we reserve some for not so good memories. We commemorate birthdays and anniversaries. We commemorate days of tragedy. We commemorate days of victory. And all the things that we go through in life and the things that we uh, bring about, we take these days and we track them. At Christmas time, uh, if you're around my house, there's countdowns to the day. Uh, and so, and if you're at Brother Chris's house, the countdown for next Christmas starts tomorrow. Uh, and you will hear it. It starts today. And you'll hear it every day, all year long. It never ends. Uh, and so I'm grateful this morning that I get a break until about the end of September. Uh, and so, uh, but Miss Joanna thinks had her yard decorated since August. Uh, and so some people love Christmas more than others, but we all love the time of the year. Uh, this day, Christmas Day, is special to we as Christians because it's the day that the Lord began to fulfill his promise of our redemption. It's a day when we can stop and look at a moment in time when what was promised stopped being merely a promise and started being action. It was a time whenever God came and said, this is not just another day. Sadly, to some people it is. This morning we were up taking our time and got the fire going in the fireplace and drinking our coffee and watching a couple of grandkids get into some of their things this morning and and all of a sudden hear a lawnmower. And I'm thinking, you've got to be kidding me. Who's mowing in 30 degree weather on Christmas morning? And uh, I thought maybe it was, I have a couple of neighbors that might qualify for that level of crazy or dedication to their lawn. Let me phrase it that way. Uh, but it wasn't, it was the shopping plaza right behind our house and it was their contractor. When I drove out this morning, uh, their gas truck was there making a delivery to the gas station at the corner of the entrance of our, uh, of our subdivision. And I was thinking, you know, it, it's a sad fact that to Christmas Day, for some, for many, it's just another day. There's nothing sacred about it. There's nothing special about it. It's just another day. To some, it's just a day off of work. On a year like this year, when it falls on Sunday, that day will be observed tomorrow. They'll get to stay home and relax, as many of, of you will, many of us will, and pray for some, that's all it is. But for us, it's a day like no other. Without this day, none of the other days after this make sense, make it, make it, have any impact. Without this day, there's no crucifixion. Without this day, there's no feeding of 5,000. Without this day, there's no resurrection. And without this day, there's no eternal life and restoration of man to God. God takes this day and he lifts up the Lord Jesus Christ by sending him to us. It is a day that changed the world. It is a day that changed eternity. Now, I'm not going to take too much time this morning. I appreciate you making the sacrifice to come out on such a special day and a day that's filled and set aside in large part for family time. But I do want to just make three quick observations this morning about this day. And I would start this morning by saying that one of the things that makes this day so special is that this day is the day that the scriptures were fulfilled. The, the promises that were given... And if you go back and you do a lot of study and you get really intricate into the study of the scripture, you'll find 
that over 300 promises of this day were given in the Old Testament and they're fulfilled in this moment. There is no question that God is providentially working in the affairs of men and that God has done this in such a way that to the person who will look with an honest and open heart that seeking and searching for truth will be drawn and compelled to the presence of their Savior. If you're seeking the Lord Jesus this morning, may I say to you that all of the things that I'm preaching to you and that we commemorate on Christmas Day that took place when Jesus was born in Bethlehem and placed in that manger because there was no room in the inn, that all those things, that every element essentially of his virgin birth was promised and foretold by God through the prophets of the Old Testament. The fact that he lived in, uh, that his family lived in Nazareth, but he would be born in Bethlehem. The fact that he would be born of a virgin, prophesied even from the Garden of Eden before they were, or as that man fell. I mean, from the very moment that man chose, uh, chose to sin and fell from grace and were expelled, God was there making a promise of a redeemer. God promised the events that would take place. He promised how they would transpire. He gave uh, the, all of those things leading in. And, uh, and then on this day, it's fulfilled. Now, we obviously wouldn't take the time and don't have the time to go and look at so many of those promises. But we will look at a couple in Micah chapter number 5. In verse number 2, the Bible tells us, But thou Bethlehem Ephrata, Though, be, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall come forth unto me that which is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from of old, from everlasting. The child was born, but the Son of God was from everlasting. And he's laying out right away that there is born in Bethlehem a Savior. There is born in Bethlehem no ordinary child. There is born in Bethlehem a noble, willing, and worthy sacrifice to make redemption to God for man's sin. A child born without a natural father. A child born without a sin nature that needed to be atoned for. God in the flesh visited with his people. And Emmanuel, God with us, is with us still. Amen. And we come this morning just stopping for a moment and realizing that his birth in Bethlehem was not insignificant. It was not just the fact that the Bible records for us that he happened to be born in Bethlehem. He was promised to be born in Bethlehem. Matter of fact, one of the arguments against him by the Pharisees was that he's from Nazareth. Doesn't the Bible say the Messiah has to be uh, from Bethlehem? And they missed the connection. That while his family was, of course, from uh, Nazareth, because of the taxation and because of the things that were not executed uh, by godly people because they were trying to help fulfill the promise, but were executed by the wicked as God providentially worked behind the scenes in the affairs of men uh, to bring to pass his will. What takes place is that the Lord Jesus Christ is born in Bethlehem. Not in a comfortable room in a hospital, 
Not in a resort of an inn, but in a stable. Amen. Laid in a trough. At least he had some clean straw. Yeah. And imagine being laid in a straw manger in the kind of weather we've had the last few days. Huddled around, trying to keep warm. Now, I don't know what the weather was like that night. The Bible doesn't tell us. But I know this, it was not an ideal birth. Humanly speaking. But it was the perfect birth. Biblically speaking. Because it was the one that God promised. He's the one that God promised. He was born in Bethlehem. Not only was it important that he be born in Bethlehem, but it was crucial that he be born of a virgin. I touched on that already, but the importance of the virgin birth cannot be overlooked. And the world would look at it and say, this is unnatural, this is impossible, this can't take place. But as Mary made that argument to the angel, but with God nothing shall be impossible. All things are possible with God. God worked in a way that defied nature so that he could prove his deity and that he could provide a worthy sacrifice. Isaiah chapter 7 and verse number 14. Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. He is with us. You know, it's an amazing truth and it is, a, uh, it is something that many of us go through life at times going long periods of time without engaging in conversation or relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ when Jesus steps up and says, I'm with you. And how often we walk blindly through our day ignoring that he's there. Never calling out to him and help when we need help, assistance, never leaning on Him when we need strength or encouragement, uh, and never worshiping and honoring Him whenever He does great and wonderful things in our lives. He was born of a virgin, a miraculous birth in a sacred place, born the mighty God. Isaiah chapter 9 and verse number 6 tells us, For unto us a child is born, And unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Some of those things have come to pass. Some of those things will come to pass. His birth has been miraculous, and he comes, and we commemorate on this day the fulfilling of the Scriptures. Secondly, this morning I would say this, is that he came on this day... And on this day, Satan realized his fate. You see, from the time that Satan fell in heaven and rebelled against God and was so compelling that he convinced a third of the angels to follow him. And he was cast out. From that moment, he knew what God determined his fate to be. But there was hope in his heart that he could prevail. I mean, after all, if I could rise up against the Father in heaven and I could compel a third of his angels to come with me, uh, I perhaps can undo and unravel the plan that God has for the redemption of man and my destruction. 
All he had to do was murder an innocent, helpless baby. All he had to do <coughs> was turn uh, Jesus whenever he was uh, weak and whenever he was, uh, whenever he was uh, at, a, at a point of vulnerability. Uh, all he had to do was destroy him. And that window of opportunity for 33 and a half years, Satan had, had his heart set on the destruction of Christ because that unraveled all of eternity's plans. But on this day, he began to realize that his fate was sealed. On this day, he began to realize that nothing else could be done. Pastor, what do you mean? Well, I want you to consider that until now, this destruction was in his mind only talk, but now it has begun. He made an early attack. He did not wait too long. In Matthew chapter 2, in verses 16 through 18, Then Herod, when he saw that he was mocked of the wise men, was exceeding wroth, and sent forth and slew all the children that were in Bethlehem, and in all the coast thereof, from two years old and under, according to the time which he had diligently inquired of the wise men. Then was fulfilled that which was spoken by Jeremy the prophet, saying, in Ramah there is a voice heard, lamentation and weeping, and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, and would not be comforted because they are not. Again, a prophecy of what would take place around the birth of Christ. That Herod, this wicked king, would seek to destroy this innocent child and killed many children during that day to the point that the city cried out with broken hearts, weeping because their children were destroyed in their innocency because this man wanted to destroy Jesus. The Lord protected him. His father had him carried by Joseph and Mary into Egypt, fulfilling yet another prophecy. His early attack. You know that Satan always goes after the vulnerable. And what we see is that he's going after what God has promised when it's in its physically its weakest point. There's nothing so helpless as a baby. Small children are vulnerable. Infant children are at the mercy of their caregivers. We were all together as you were, I'm sure, yesterday as family. And our one-year-old grandson is somewhat mobile and gets around, and, but he's still really vulnerable. But then there's the new baby that's just about a month old. And maybe about six weeks, five weeks. And she's just getting to where she can kind of barely try to hold her head up and wiggle around a little bit. And, uh, you know, she doesn't know what a bed is yet because she just gets passed from person to person. Uh, and so, uh, you know, she just, uh, she just gets held and, uh, and, and coddled. And that's all she does. So all she can do is cry and make a mess and eat. Uh, and so and get loved on. She's vulnerable. If someone wanted to do her harm... There would be no real challenge. Satan attacks the vulnerable. Whenever you're tired, whenever you're weak, whenever your spirit is low, when you're depressed, when you feel hardship in your life, when you face financial trouble, you can pretty much count on the fact that there is a Satan out there that's evil that wants to do you harm. And he's not going to come at you real hard whenever you're on top of the spiritual world. He's not going to generally come and put too much energy into you when you're really just strong in the Lord. But when weakness comes around. So, Pastor, I'll just never get weak. Oh, yeah, you will. 
It's like saying I'll never get sick. I can plan to never get sick, but at some point I'm going to get sick. And I've been sick enough over the last few years that a couple times to, to realize that at my advancing age that it's a little bit more perilous. It's not so easy to overcome and it doesn't pass as quickly as it once did. And those of you that are here this morning that are dealing with very serious uh, health issues, we, you understand better the more desperate the situation, the frailty, the fragility of life. We're here by the grace of God. Amen. We take our next breath at God's pleasure. Our heart beats one more beat because God has ordained it to do so. But let weakness set in. Let the opportunity come. You know what predators do? Predators chase not the strongest of a herd, but they isolate and separate from the herd the weakest among them. Satan operates the same way. Whenever we're weak, we need to lean on Jesus. But I'm just saying this morning that as successful as Satan is on this day, when that helpless, innocent child was laid in the manger, he saw an opportunity to strike. And through Herod, he did strike. But when God is in control, he can do nothing. And Jesus was spared. Not only was there an early attack, but there was an opportunistic attack. In Matthew chapter number 4, Jesus has been baptized by John the Baptist, and the Spirit of God has descended upon him, and the Father from heaven has said that this is my beloved Son, and whom I'm well pleased, and hear him, and he fasts for 40 days. And when does Satan come? He doesn't come on day one comes on day 40. And he begins to lay out temptation before him. He twists the word of God and uses it against him. He tempts his body with food. When Jesus rebuffs that attack, then he tempts his soul with power. And then whenever that doesn't work, he tempts his spirit with worship. You can have all this power. You can have food from the rocks. You can be worshipped as God. He was God. Amen. Satan couldn't give him that because that's already who he was. That already belonged to him. Amen. But it was an opportunistic attack. Again, attacking in a moment of weakness. Not only that, it was as we see that there was a final assault. As Jesus successfully navigated his life through this earth. From the manger to the carpenter shop, to the wilderness, to the cities, to the villages, to the lake, to the mountainside, performing miracles, preaching the word, laying the groundwork to establish his kingdom. When he was finally taken into custody, when it was time for his ultimate sacrifice for our sin, for our atonement to be made by the Lamb of God, in Matthew 27, beginning in verse 45 through chapter 28 and verse number 6, you see the crucifixion of Christ on Calvary's cross. He, did not, he was not put there by men who overpowered him. He willingly laid his life down for us. And on that day in Matthew 28, verse 6, he rose from the grave and the tomb is empty. Amen. A few months from now, we'll celebrate that day too. What happened? There was a day 
that Jesus came and fulfilled the scriptures. And there was a day when Satan realized this is my end. My fate is sealed. And then finally this morning, this day, is the day that sinners tasted freedom. We, because of Jesus this morning, have a taste of freedom. Matthew chapter 1 and verse 21, he, he, they were told, For he shall save his people from their sins. What's the point of all of this? What's the point of the decorations? What's the point of the special music? What's the point of the giving of gifts? What's the point of the time together? What's the point of talking about and commemorating the birth of a, of a child? The point is that it is the day, it is the singular moment in history when for the first time sinners could have a taste of freedom from their sin. For the first time, there is going to be the opportunity that redemption would be made, not temporarily for a year because of the sacrifice of a lamb, but one sacrifice for all of eternity by the Lamb of God. This lamb on this day made possible for us to taste freedom. Free, first of all, from the burden of our sin. May I say this morning that we're free from the burden of that sin, or we can be, but we're not free from the curse of it. We live on an earth that's suffering from the curse of sin. That's why the violent weather, that's why illness, that's why disease, that's why the bees sting, that's why the serpents have fangs and are venomous. That's why you see weather things happening that I think in the, just in the last week I've seen about four or five different reports of turbulence so severe that aircraft plummeted so violently in, tur in turbulence going to different places, including into Houston, I think last night or this morning, uh, that people had to be hospitalized. What's all that a result of, Pastor? The hurricanes, the tornadoes, the curse of sin on the earth. Because we sinned, all of those things are there. We're not free from that this morning. He makes it to rain on the just and the unjust. When drought comes as a result of that curse, we endure the drought with those that are lost. We have an opportunity as we endure to rejoice and praise God and lead them to Him. We have to go through all of these things, but we do not have to bear the burden of our sin. The beauty of what Jesus has done is not just that He gave us eternal life, but that He gave us liberty from the burden of our sin. I don't have to carry that burden anymore. <laughs> I don't have to carry and lug around the weight of my sin. Those that are young, it's not too heavy of a burden most of the time. But the older that you get, the heavier the load becomes. A lifetime of sin and guilt that Jesus comes and just takes. The taste of freedom from the burden of our sin. Secondly, the taste of freedom means that redemption has been set in motion. At the birth of Christ, the plan of redemption was set in motion. It's begun. And on Calvary's cross, he would tell us that it is finished. And whenever Satan thought maybe he had won the victory and rejoiced, the stone rolled away and Jesus got up and walked out because the grave couldn't hold him. We come this morning reflecting and praising the Lord that our redemption on this day was set in motion. And on this day, God gave us eternal life.
not just a, an abundant life here, not just the hope of eternal life, but eternal life in fact. When I realized my need of salvation, when I realized why Jesus had to come and put on human flesh, when I realized the power that he made available to me to live an abundant life, when I realized that I could do nothing to save myself, that coming to church, that being baptized, that being a good person was all good, but had nothing to do with me being born into the family of God as his child. When I recognized that I could do nothing for me, but he had done it all. And I saw that and understood that. And I realized that because of me, he had to come. That because of me, he was ridiculed and mocked and beaten. That because of me, he willingly offered himself up on a cross. Because of me, he, and he embraced the power of heaven and walked out of a tomb. That I could do none of that. But because he did it, and because he made it available to me, when I repented of my sin, my heart broken at looking at what I'd done to him. And he loved me anyway. And I accepted the gift that he offered. That gift of his life, that gift of his blood, that gift of his power to rise from a grave, that gift to say that if you'll just put your faith and trust in me instead of your good works, instead of yourself, instead of your church attendance, instead of your uh, being a good person, if you'll trust me, then I will perform an act as supernatural as my virgin birth in your heart and I'll give you eternal life by making you the son of God. Amen. John chapter 1 and verse 12 tells us that he gave us the power to become the sons of God. He makes us that when we put our faith and trust in him. Why is this day so important? Because this day brought eternal life to God's people. He brought the vessel of our redemption. He walked among us. He offered himself as our atonement, an acceptable sacrifice. So, Pastor, I'll, I'll give myself a sacrifice. That's great. But the sacrifice of yourself for your atonement is not acceptable to God. Go to the store and try to pay for something. We went, uh, one of the things that we do as a family, we started doing this a few years ago. And, and our, our grandchildren that are, especially our six-year-old granddaughter, and if you do anything more than once, it becomes tradition. So about two weeks ago, she's calling. She's saying, Abuela, that's what they call my wife. This is kind of a, a, a mutated version of Abuela. Uh, and so it's what she called her grandmother. Uh, and they called, and Jules called. And she's like, are we going to do our, our Christmas Eve tradition? And she's like, which one? <laughs> she's like, Cracker Barrel. We go to, bre we go to Cracker Barrel to, for breakfast as a family on Christmas Eve. Uh, and so she said, of course we are. So we get there and we're all lined up and, uh, and we, we go through the meal and, uh, and we're, we just have a good time there as a family. And then uh, part of that tradition is that, guess who gets stuck with the bill? <laughs> so I go to the cash register and I walk up to the register and I take out my gift card to Texas Roadhouse to pay. So wait a minute, Pastor, that doesn't work. Neither does trying to be a good person and get to heaven. That's good. That's true. Amen. See, it doesn't matter what sacrifice I make. Yeah. 
if the sacrifice isn't acceptable to the one that payment has to be made to. And God's justice and God's holiness demanded a payment for our sin. And that sacrifice, that payment had to be acceptable to him. My good works aren't acceptable payment. But the sacrifice of Jesus, his precious son on Calvary's cross was acceptable. That's available to you this morning. If you're here this morning and you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, may I say to you that God loved you so much that we have a whole holiday every year on December 25th that celebrates His coming and putting on human flesh so that He could pay that acceptable, make that acceptable payment on your behalf. That payment's been made. Your sin and mine have been paid in full. You do not have to live life without freedom from sin. And you do not have to experience an eternity in a lake of fire. But you do have to put your faith and trust in Jesus to avoid it. He made the payment. You don't have to accept it. If I were to, and occasionally I do, go to a cash register, or maybe I see someone that I know or I want to be a blessing to, or I'll see, uh, sometimes I'll see uh, a, a first responder and I'll get their bill and pay it. You know, if I were to go and pay it and that person were to come and say, no, that's a, no you're not going to pay my bill. Essentially, when we, rejo- when we reject Jesus Christ, that's what we're doing. Amen. He's saying, I want to, I, I bought your soul. I've made payment for your salvation, for you to have a relationship with God. And for me to reject that is to essentially go to him and say, no, you're not. I won't accept it. So, Pastor, why do people, what is it that's so bad that people go to hell for it? That's what's so bad. You can rattle off a list of sin, and people often ask that kind of a question, especially to someone in my profession. What sin is it that tipped me over the edge? And they come up with some great big thing, like murder or, uh, you know, abusing children or things of that nature, trafficking people. All of those things are vile and horrible, but none of them are as vile and as horrible as rejecting the gift that God has made available to us. No one's going to go to hell of the lake of fire forever because they murdered somebody. Every person that goes to hell will go to hell because they rejected Jesus Christ and his gift. Special, you mean that's not a bad sin? No, it's a horrible thing. But understand, the horrible thing that condemns our soul is rejecting the love of God that made available to us redemption. Why is today so significant? It's a wonderful day. I love the food. I love the music. I love the presents. I love to give them. Most of the time I love to get them, unless they come from my sister. Um, inside joke. Perhaps someday, no, I won't show it yet either. <laughs> and so she sent me this horrible picture of myself on a clock. Um, and so, thanks, sis. My aunt, she used to send my aunt a ridiculous parrot that sang something. So, was this the parrot sing Fleece Navidad too? No? My wife, she sent. 
chihuahuas or Santa Clauses or anything she could find that sang Feliz Navidad. To my sister, she sent these horrible, ugly, hideous looking parrots. And they sent them back. Well, now that she's gone, my sister's declared war on me. Merry Christmas. The reality is, is that today's a wonderful day. And it's wonderful because we get some time off. It's wonderful because the food's great. It's wonderful because we get to spend time with those that we love. But the reason that it's really wonderful is because it's the day that God looked down from heaven and said, this is how much I love you. Let me give you a gift. And Jesus came. Would you accept the gift this morning? Would you, Christian, embrace a relationship with him that he longs to have with you? In just one more week, next time we come together on Sunday, it'll be a brand new year. No greater way to start the year than right here in God's house with his people. But just starting the year off in church doesn't mean a whole lot if I don't walk with him every day. He wants to have that kind of relationship with you. He came to earth and was born of a virgin so that it would be possible. Will you embrace the life that he has for you? And will you embrace a relationship that he longs to have with you? Father, thank you for our time together this morning.